Linda McHenry, host of Taking the Mystery Out of Insurance. Thanks for joining me this week. Today is Tuesday, June 16th, 2020, and this is episode number nine, Are You Naming Those Beneficiaries Properly? If you'd like more information about who I am, what I do, my blog, books, YouTube channels, or podcasts, head on over to my website at lindamchenry.com. The podcast page offers you the opportunity to submit questions for each week's Q&A section and to request a guest spot. My most recent book, Taking the Mystery Out of Business, was released last month and it's now available on Amazon as a paperback and as an ebook. It discusses my take on the nine fundamentals for professional success, and you can learn more about that on my website as well. Now let's talk about life insurance beneficiary designations. When a life insurance policy is issued, there's three parties to the contract. The owner, that's the person who buys the policy, pays the premium, and has all the rights to make changes or to cancel the policy. The insured is the person whose life is covered. When that individual dies, the insurance company pays a death benefit to the beneficiary. Now, the owner and the insured can be the same person, but they don't have to be. So when we're talking about beneficiaries, the individual or the business who's going to receive the death benefits, first thing the insurance company wants to make sure is that the owner has an insurable interest in the life of the insured. Basically, the owner has to suffer a financial loss when the insured dies. And typically, the insurance company wants to see that the beneficiary will as well. So when naming a beneficiary, insurance companies want to see spouses or relatives, or business partners. They want to see that both the owner and the beneficiary have a financial investment in the life of the insured. So that's the first thing you want to think about. Typically, beneficiaries are human beings, but they can be estates, trusts, businesses, nonprofit organizations, again, depending upon the reason for the purchase of insurance. When the insured dies, if no living beneficiary survives the insured, the death benefits are paid to the insured's estate. But the really neat thing about death benefits being paid to a human being is the fact that they pass to that individual tax-free and they bypass probate, meaning the death claim is submitted to the insurance company, the insurance company processes it, and they issue payment usually within seven to 10 days. Now, if the estate is the beneficiary, obviously the will has to go through probate. If there's no will, it takes even longer, and it can be months or a year before any of that money can be accessed. Now, some states do protect death benefits from attachment by creditors, either wholly or partially. You're going to see more complexity if it's business life insurance, but usually with individual life insurance, you might, you might be more apt to see that. Generally speaking, we have two classifications of beneficiaries, or we look at them from two different perspectives. We look at them to see if they can be changed or revoked, and we look at them in numerical order, as in who's going to get the money first. So when we call a beneficiary revocable, that means the owner can change it at any point in time. And if the beneficiary is irrevocable, once the beneficiary is named, that can't be changed. So I buy a life insurance policy and I name my spouse as the revocable beneficiary. I get divorced and I'm single. I'm going to change the beneficiary after I'm divorced. I remarry. I want to change it again to my new spouse. That's typically how the revocable beneficiaries go. However, I might have a disabled child and I might want to leave my life insurance death benefit to that child and I might choose an irrevocable beneficiary. That way, no matter what happens, that child will always receive the death benefits on that policy so long as that policy is in force. 
Oftentimes you see irrevocable beneficiaries when a portion of a life insurance policy is sold or in business when life insurance is used to accomplish all sorts of things. Then when it comes to first and second or primary and contingent beneficiaries, you want to think about the order in which people are going to receive death benefits. You might have one person you want to receive the money. However, if that individual is no longer alive, you want the money to go somewhere else. Because basically what happens is if when your clients name one person, let's say they name their spouse as a beneficiary and they don't name anybody else. If the spouse predeceases them, then when they die, the insurance benefits go to their estate. And again, they're not accessible until after the estate is probated and, and all that those matters get taken care of. That's why it's very important to name a contingent beneficiary. So you might want to have a spouse and a child. You can also name multiple people primary beneficiary. You could name your, your spouse and three children primary, or you could name your spouse as primary and your three children as contingent. And when you're naming multiple people beneficiary, you want to make sure that you spell out how you want the funds to be paid in the event one of those beneficiaries predeceases the insured. So Let's say your client has two children, a boy and a girl, and they designate the boy and girl primary beneficiaries. They want to say whether they want the death benefits to be distributed on a per capita basis or on a per sterpes basis. Do they want the surviving beneficiary to receive 100% of the death benefits rather than 50%? Or do they want the surviving beneficiary to receive 50% and the remaining 50% that should have gone to the other person? Do they want that to be passed on to that individual's children or heirs? You know, so it goes on down in the family branch, in the family tree. So those, those are things that you want to think about and make sure that that language is included when you're naming multiple beneficiaries. Generally speaking, it's best to have a human being as a beneficiary. Again, the benefits aren't taxed and they bypass probate. But sometimes it's not a good idea to name a human being. And the first thing that comes to mind is children. When you have minors, people who are not of legal age, they, they don't have legal capacity. Insurance companies a lot of times insist on establishing a trust, depositing the money in the trust, and then the kids can't access the money until they turn 18. Or if the insurance company will issue a check to the children, Maybe there are people who want the courts to appoint a guardian or a conservator, depending upon the state, to handle that money. One of the things you can do instead of naming children is to establish a living trust or create a trust so that whoever's managing the trust can manage the money for the children. That would be a reason not to name a human being. If there's a family member or spouse or someone that you want to receive the life insurance death benefits, but they are fiscally irresponsible or just generally irresponsible, Again, you might want to leave the money to an estate or a trust or make some other legal arrangement so somebody can manage the money for them. And one other workaround would be to leave the money to an individual, but for the owner to choose the settlement option up front. So let's say I have a spouse who can't handle money. I leave the spouse as my primary beneficiary, but I choose a settlement option of a lifetime annuity, which means that when I die, instead of getting a lump sum, I've already arranged that that beneficiary is going to receive a lifetime income. So they're going to get monthly income. They can't access all the death benefits and go through them. There are other reasons that you might want to name uh, an entity or a business. You might want to gift life insurance to a, a charity or for business reasons, you might want to name a business or, or some other organization. Some life insurance policies include a spendthrift clause. And what it does is it protects the death benefits from creditors. 
And again, it does the same thing that, that I just mentioned. It would just pay the life insurance death benefits out in a lifetime income annuity rather than in a lump sum. In some states, actually most states, the Uniform Simultaneous Death Act is in place and it applies if there's no will or other legal document to address multiple deaths resulting from a common accident. We see this typically with married couples. And what this Uniform Simultaneous Death Act says is that deaths taking place within a 120-hour time frame, you know, so two people say die in a car accident and they die within 120 hours of each other. So they each name each other uh, beneficiary. So we have a husband and wife. And let's say the husband dies first. His death benefits go to the wife. Then she dies. Well, without this act, all those death benefits would pass to her estate unless there were a contingent beneficiary. So what the act does is it says that instead of all the money going to one of the estates, you know, the estate of the surviving person, it combines all the death benefits and then distributes them equally to the relatives of both individuals. Again, not every state has enacted this law, but most of them do. Just one more reason to make sure that you have your primary and contingent beneficiaries named and that when you're talking to your clients that you recommend that very, very emphatically. In most cases, these life insurance beneficiary rules also apply to naming beneficiaries of retirement accounts. It's really, really important to make sure that the names are listed correctly. Make sure you have the legal name, first name, middle name, or middle initial, last name, dates of birth, social securities, numbers that are, are correct. You want to make sure that some dependents and children and heirs, if they have special needs, that those have been taken into consideration. While it might seem reasonable to leave equal shares to all your children, if you have a child that has a disability or a handicap, that may not be the case. And, and again, it might be better to have a trust or something set up for that individual. You also want to make sure that you recommend to your clients that they update their beneficiaries regularly. I can't tell you how many times in the course of my career I've seen issues after a divorce where beneficiaries hadn't been updated. And the former spouse, the ex-spouse, receives the death benefits rather than the, exist the current spouse, the one with all the children. So again, you want to make sure that beneficiaries are updated as often as possible. And that's what I've got for you this week on life insurance beneficiary designations. Now let's move on to our weekly Q&A. In each episode, I answer questions submitted by listeners. This week's question relates to a previous podcast episode on cannabis. Meredith asks, Linda, I heard that although cannabis isn't legal, hemp is. Does this mean I can grow and sell hemp instead of cannabis? Well, Meredith, yes and no. Federal law legalized hemp if it meets certain requirements. And the primary one is that it can't have a THC level of any more than 0.3% by dry weight. Now, THC is the psychoactive or the mind-altering element of cannabis or marijuana. That's what gives you the high. So hemp doesn't really give you a high. But if you want to grow it, you can do that, but you have to develop a program first and then you have to submit it to the USDA for approval before you can actually use the program and grow hemp. Hemp is grown for different purposes than cannabis is. Like I said, it's not grown for psychoactive properties because it contains very little THC. Most hemp is grown for industrial purposes. And even if it is grown for the seeds or the CBD oil, again, they're going to be medical rather than used to get that high that you normally have with marijuana. So that's our Q&A section and that's our episode this week. 
Once again, if you'd like to learn more about me and what I do, or if you'd like to find all my podcasts, YouTube channels, blog, and books, visit my website at lindamchenry.com. Again, Taking the Mystery Out of Business is available on Amazon. I hope you are interested in my take on the nine fundamentals for professional success. That's it for this week. Remember, clueless is a dangerous place to be. Tune in next time as we investigate more insurance mysteries together. Thank you. Thank you.